This episode is sponsored by Dominique Kim's Campaign for Women of the Year in support of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, or LLS. LLS is the world's largest nonprofit dedicated to fighting blood cancer, investing more than $1.3 billion since 1949. All proceeds from the campaign fund life-saving treatments and support blood cancer patients, especially those vulnerable throughout this COVID-19 pandemic. To make a donation, visit bit.ly forward slash 3F, capital Q, capital T, capital O, 9, capital T. You can also participate in a virtual auction on charitybuzz.com. That website is bit.ly forward slash 3BG, 3X, capital D, 4. The campaign ends June 25th, so be sure to donate now. On this episode, we have Suzanne Hill. Suzanne started her career in investment banking, but followed the pull to become a healer and trained as an acupuncturist to focus on whole body health. She opened two locations in Manhattan to offer acupuncture services and guided meditation, the latter of which can now be found online. Thank you so much, Suzanne, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a really great pleasure. We've known each other for a few years now and have interacted, and I've been the beneficiary of some of your healing modalities. So it's uh, it's a real privilege to to have you as a guest. Well, I always like sharing my experiences and what I know. And so I'm happy to be here. That's great. I wanted to go back. Um, you grew up on the East Coast, right? Yes, I was born in California, but mostly raised in New Jersey. Spent How a year in Korea, but I don't remember that. And basically moved to New Jersey when we were three. And since three, have been on the East Coast. Got it. And your family originally comes from? I grew up in a bicultural family. So my mother is 100% Korean, born in Korea. And my father is 100% New England. (laughs) Grew up that his father was Irish English and my grandmother was Portuguese. His, my dad's mother was Portuguese. So it's a mix. Gotcha. uh, It's always interesting growing up in a bicultural family. When I was a kid, I didn't love it especially because I grew up in a conservative Jewish neighborhood where it wasn't great to be Asian. But uh, I think that growing up in a bicultural family is very eye-opening. And now that I ended up in acupuncture, I'm glad I grew up having an Asian heritage. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Um, You mentioned you visited Korea. When I was two to three, so I don't really remember it. No memory of that. Gotcha. Um, And so um, you just, uh, college, you decide to go to Brown and you study economics. What uh, influenced that path? Well, I wanted to major in religious studies, and my parents at the time did not want me to do that because they felt like they were paying top dollar for a high quality education and they didn't want me to waste it on religious studies. Um, wow. Okay. Um, it's, I, I, I've heard that often, including my own household. Um, there were only a few majors I could do. I mean, art history was a passion of mine, but uh, uh, as a son of an immigrant, uh, I would have been disowned. So finance and econ, it was for me as well. Um, but tell me about the draw to religious studies. Growing up, what were some of the experiences you had that uh, well, my grandfather on my father's side was an avid churchgoer. He was very much into doing service work for the Catholic community. 
and he went to church every Sunday and I would secretly go along with him, even though my parents, it's interesting to say that they are spiritual and religious now, but back then they weren't. Back then they told me that religion was for the uneducated and that, you know, saying this is to a kid, you know, Mark said that religion was the opiate of the masses. <laughs> and, you know, saying this to a little kid, I didn't understand what that meant, but it made me realize that they thought that religion was a bad thing. So I would sneak to church with my grandfather, but I liked going to church. I loved the smell of the frankincense. I liked just being in this place that seemed so magical and special to me. Mm -hmm. And um, my grandmother on my mother's side was a Buddhist and she came to live with us when I was nine for a year. And then later on when I was 13, something like that. And she would sit in her room and pray all day long. She would do her mantras and light her incense and have her little Buddha there all day long. And that also was magical to me. So I was always drawn to spirituality. And then when I was 17, I went to Brown and I um, took my first class in Eastern religions. It's called Introduction to Eastern Religions. And then that was it for me. That's I found it fascinating. So. Wow, so great to hear. Um, you have a brother. Yes. Was he also, did he go to church with you? No, he's very much of this world. <laughs> he liked business ever since he was little. I used to think he was lucky when I was younger that wow, you like something that is acceptable by other people. You know, why do I have to like something that's so esoteric? I feel very lucky that I ended up doing what I'm doing because uh, at some point I wanted to be a doctor. When I was really little, I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, and then I decided my sophomore year, let me give medicine a try. So I did my pre-med and I just didn't, I didn't like it. Um, I went to Brown, which is where when you go to Brown, you really taught from day one when you walk through there that you're here to make the world a better place. Mm, yeah. They say that to all of us, but that I heard that. <laughs> and that's yeah. one of the reasons I wanted to go there. It resonated with you. Yeah, I believed in that. And then when I was with some of the pre-meds, this, this sounds terribly judgmental, but I was young. I noticed that some of the pre-meds were talking about where they wanted to live and what kind of house they want to have and what kind of car they wanted to drive. And I didn't understand why people who wanted to help people get better were caring about things like that. I decided to continue with economics. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, it felt very incongruent to you, this uh, desire to be a healer, but also lusting for material possession. Yeah. Well, the reason I honestly liked Wall Street, because I didn't just severely dislike it, there were things I really liked, is that you're surrounded by incredibly intelligent people. Mm. And you were surrounded by people who had a very high level of responsibility. Mm. So, and you're trained as a Wall Street banker to have a high level of responsibility. If somebody gives you a project, you have to do it. You don't just say, oh, I'm going to do that and then never turn it in. <laughs> you know. So people who are from Wall Street, I think why we end up finding each other after we go into other fields is because people are very efficient and follow through and they're lovely. Um, but there's a certain level that I couldn't relate to, which was I wasn't interested in making a lot of money. I'm not saying that that's all everybody who goes into Wall Street is, but that's a big, it's a big part of it. People want to make money. 
It's a and strong motivator. Absolutely. It's a strong motivator. So if that's not your number one motivator, it gets a little harder to stay on Wall Street because there are other things that draw your attention. So Agreed. agreed. Um, how old were you when your um, grandfather died? I don't know. He must have been in my mid 20s, something like that. While you were in banking? Um, no. Oh, no, actually, when I was after I became an acupuncturist. Okay. Sorry, I forgot. He because I used to give him um, acupuncture for his sciatica when I was still in school. Brilliant. That's and I was great. I said, Grandpa, I'm not, I haven't graduated yet. He's like, I don't care. <laughs> this is the only thing that works. So he was I my that. mm-hmm. That's great. And then your maternal grandmother, when did she pass? She passed when I was in, yeah, about 25 and she was in Korea. I never saw her after I was a teenager, which I always regretted, but uh, I always felt her presence for many years and I still do. I, you know, sometimes I still talk to her, you know, because I appreciate the Buddhist lineage. I am forever grateful that she exposed me to that at such an early age because it's become such a big part of my life. And when I was 17 and took that class on Eastern religions, we studied Hinduism, we studied Buddhism, we studied Tantra, we studied all kinds of things. Um, And the thing that really resonated with me at the time was Zen Buddhism. Mm. And then I moved over into Tibetan Buddhism. Okay, fantastic. So uh, how old were you when you left banking and did you go straight into pursuing uh, an acupuncture degree? No. (laughs) I left Wall Street to go work at a recording studio. Uh, One of the things I played piano, flute and violin. I always loved writing music and I thought, let me go work for a recording studio, write music for films and commercials and and therefore assuage my conscience because some of the deals that I had worked on had gone bankrupt and had really cost a lot of people their jobs. And we had done leveraged buyouts where we took their quote unquote overfunded pension plan and used it to refinance the deal. And then a lot of people ended up without pensions. And now look, when you're 22, you don't really understand what that means or I didn't understand what it means. And then when I, saw the list of companies that had gone bankrupt through the leverage buyout. Some of them I had worked on. I felt like instinctively I had a lot to make up for. It's, it's incredible, but, but they, they dehumanize it. So it, it's just numbers on a spreadsheet. So it becomes an intellectual puzzle. And so you sit at, uh, you know, in lower Manhattan and you solve this intellectual puzzle but the repercussions of it, the human faces are not seen until much later, if that. And so if that's, ever, right. that's the experience that you had. I mean, it's, uh, it's a, I mean, knowing you as well as I do, of course it makes sense to me that you would feel the weight of that on your soul. But for most people, that's not their experience. So I just, it's amazing that you felt that. Yeah. Um, and then I felt ashamed that I was so naive that I didn't know. You know, of course, looking back, of course, these were real people that had real lives that were affected by this. But, you know, I didn't know. You've and forgiven so, yourself for that, right? <laughs> yes, I have. Well, maybe not 100% because I can still hear it in my own voice that I'm sad about it. But uh, when I went into work for the recording studio, I loved especially Final Mixdown when you have all the different musicians come in, you lay down all the tracks, and then you sit there, you do Final Mixdown while you're watching you know, the video of the commercial go by. I mean, there's nothing more heavenly than that. 
And a lot of the commercials were alcohol and cigarette ads because that's who had the money. And it made me ill that we were promoting this and I was part of it. There's, there's a very strong drive in me to always, I think it's maybe true for a lot of people that whatever you touch, you don't want it to be a negative impact. You want it to be a positive impact. For sure. So I think of the movie Mulan. I don't know if you ever saw that. Oh, yes. It's a big, uh, my children are a big fan of it. Both a son and daughter. So when the grandmother goes to their family temple and she lights the incense and wakens the ancestors and they all have a fight or a disagreement, a discussion about what to do with Mulan, you know, Mulan. And one of the sides says, well, we didn't do anything wrong. We're acupuncturists, you know? And the other one says, well, we can't all be acupuncturists. But I thought that was funny. That is hilarious. I'm so glad you remembered that and referenced it. <laughs> I just think it's fascinating. Um, you went to music to cleanse your soul, but then <laughs> it wasn't quite, it didn't quite do it. Yeah. You did something more. What I think is interesting you know, now that I'm older and looking at, and I have a 20 year old and a 15 year old and watching them go through figuring out what they like and what they don't like. And I see a whole lot of struggle in terms of trying to find their identity and who they are and allow themselves to explore as well as be responsible for themselves. And it's a very, it's challenging. And then you have choice. You don't have to be a baker because your father was a baker. But the problem is maybe sometimes like there's too much choice. Your boys are very fortunate to have a parent like you because as we talked about in our era, it was, no, you have to go do this. No mm -hmm. religious studies, it's economics. Right. Yeah. So um, I'd love to hear, other than Mulan, what was the influence <laughs> to study acupuncture? And that was said completely yeah. in jest. No, I, so I decided after... Uh, after the recording studio that, you know what? I really always wanted to be a doctor. Why don't I do that? I went to Columbia, did my post-bac pre-med and started working for a dermatologist on Park Avenue. Um, there were two doctors. They were brilliant doctors. They saw many, many patients, um, a lot of superstars. And it was very high-end place um, and very knowledgeable doctors. And I realized that they were writing prescriptions like they were candy. And this is no offense to them. They were brilliant doctors, but that was what the training was. Allopathic medicine was like, let's write a script. Particularly, we treated a lot of acne cases. And sometimes the mothers would ask, you know, doctor, my son has been on antibiotics every day for three years. Can this harm his system? Okay, this is 1993. <laughs> so, and the doctor would say, oh, there's absolutely no concern whatsoever. Okay, but wow. we know now that that's completely false. Um, and me being an empath, you know, I, I didn't say this to you, but I'm, I'm an empath, which means that I can basically feel a lot of things. I can feel the energy in the air. I can feel when I put my hands on people, I can feel their emotions, I can feel their thoughts. Um, you know, people make fun of it in there. There was this show called Star Trek, The Next Generation. I don't know if you ever saw that. Yes, I heard of it. Yeah. Anna Troy, you know, she was the she was the resident empath and she'd walk into a room and start crying or she'd say, Oh, I feel a lot of fear. And people would make fun of it. She was parodied on Saturday Night Live and things like that. But it's true. I mean, some people have this ability and I'm one of them. Mm. 
And so as I was doing writing prescriptions and assisting the doctor in the room, uh, I could read the energy of the person who was sitting on the table and I could feel how much their skin conditions had to do with their, their upset or their digestion or all these things that weren't spoken about. And so in a way, it was fortunate that I ended up in that specialty because it made me realize I didn't want to do allopathic medicine. So I, um, and, but in the meantime, I had been looking at all the medical school catalogs and I don't know if you know this and I don't know if it's different, but at that time, it was like 25 years ago, when you looked at the catalog, the courses that medical students went through, you only had in-depth touching of the human body in gross anatomy when you were working with a cadaver. Wow. That's interesting, right? Well, I mean, it's in a similar form, what we talked about, you uh, made it an intellectual puzzle as opposed to having any grounding in what you were actually dealing with. So diagnosing diseases and coming up with treatment plans was removed from patients. That's really... body, so it became clear to me that that actually wasn't how I wanted to practice. So I decided to go to massage school just to educate myself and get a hands-on perspective of the body that would supplement my medical school training. By the time I got to the end of that training, I decided I want to go to acupuncture school instead. Okay. And what was it about acupuncture as a modality that was so appealing to you? What spoke to you about that? That when a person comes in, for example, for a headache, with a headache to be treated, in allopathic medicine, there's a standard treatment. Let's say for migraine, here's the top medicine. We'll try it. If that doesn't work, we'll try this. If that doesn't work, we'll try this. Whereas in acupuncture, you look at between diagnosing the pulse and the constitution, they believe that every person has a different constitution so what does that mean some people are bigger some people are thinner some people run hot some people run cold some people are wetter some people are drier we instinctively know this but nobody really talks about this unless you go to acupuncture school and because everybody's so different what you realize is you're not going to treat everybody in the same way if somebody carries a lot of heat in them you're going to treat them completely different than someone who carries a lot of cold. You just are. And so you're treating what you start to treat is what they call the terrain. You treat the body and not just the pathogen. And so it's a whole different perspective of medicine, which is fascinating that you get to have a treatment plan that's tailored just for you, not you know, the 20 million other people that have your same body weight, Amazing. pretty much. Yeah, and as you say it, and the way you describe it, it seems so logical, but our entire healthcare system is oriented in a different way. Yes, because it's, um, it's practicing medicine in the way that we do it as acupuncturists and Chinese medical practitioners, it takes more time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Suzanne, one thing I'm very curious about, your practice is in Manhattan. I have to imagine a lot of your clientele are the former peers you had who were pre-med 
at Brown or who shared cubicle space with you <laughs> in banking. Mm-hmm. So these are your patients or, you know, their families or their patients. So um, how do you bridge that divide uh, 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 and, and bring to them a, a healing modality that they might find or seem or is so foreign to them? Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I like New York City is that you have the density of population so that even when I started my practice 20 years ago, I wasn't concerned at all that I wouldn't have a practice. I knew there was enough people. I also made it a point never to advertise. I never did any advertising because I advertised, I think, one three-month period and I got the wrong kind of people. People, they just wanted weight loss or they wanted smoking and they weren't interested in a deeper level of healing. The thing that was appealing to me about acupuncture is that I could take everything that I learned from acupuncture and Chinese medicine, combine it with everything that I had also studied myself about spirituality and religion, as well as like therapy, psychology, and all of that, as well as nutrition. And I was able to put them all into one. And so people were coming to me, weren't saying I'm only here for acupuncture. People were coming to me saying, I'm here because I don't feel well. And when people come to you and they don't feel well, they don't care what modality they use. So I never felt like I was trying to proselytize my patients. I felt like, let me, let me have you try these things. Let me give you treatments. And then your own experience will let you know the difference. And one of my specialties became sort of the acupuncturist of last resort. So when people had run out of all their other options, including other acupuncturists, then they would come to me. And other acupuncturists would also refer to me saying, listen, I haven't been able to make progress or I got this person 50% of the way. Like, what do you got? Um, And I believe, I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean, the the pressing question is um, what gives you that edge? The thing that gives me that edge is the ability to put my hands on somebody and know what the root of their illness is. So that's being an empath is what makes you a superb acupuncturist. Yeah, it wasn't so fun in investment banking. I didn't need to know who wasn't doing appropriate things. Quite the opposite. <laughs> it made it harder to do your job. <laughs> I'm certain. Uh, I, but I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Please continue. Um, no, but it's like most empaths will tell you when you when you grow up that way, you it takes you a long time to realize that that's not how other people experience the world. Which is natural. That's to be expected. So um, you you don't do any advertising, but acupuncturists seek you out for your for their challenging cases. And I understand now that corporations are seeking your assistance. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that. Um, well, mostly for now, it's for meditation and chanting and breath work. Um, especially now, we're going through the time of coronavirus quarantine. I have several corporate clients who have a budget for wellness for their employees, and they've decided to put it to regular meditation practice. Uh, I have the Ohm Center in New York City, which uh, we're located on First Avenue between 62nd and 63rd, and I just opened in October, and we were ramping up very nicely, and this happened. So 
I took a three days and I transferred everything over to virtual and started doing online classes. And so we're starting our seventh week of classes. Um, and I tell all the corporations, you're more than welcome to join the classes, but they like doing hiring me to do corporate work for their employees specifically because it helps team building. And it helps corporate energy building. Of it was nice for them to get on and see other people on there that they know that they work with, and then afterwards they have a shared experience. So it it helps overall. Um, and those are really fun to do because the people who show up um, very sincere. That's fantastic. That's really great that you're able to bring your knowledge base to to so many and I mean kudos to those corporations as well to to seek you out yeah um, you did do a bit of um, radio podcast work I mean it's clear that's why you're such a natural right now that uh, oh. you had a, it was called healing power hour the heal, yeah the healing power hour it was on the uh, voice voice uh, America I think. voice America it was network radio internet radio um, they called me and asked me if I wanted to do the show and did I have any ideas? And so I just came up with this platform and I had been thinking about it anyway. And so it was back, I think in 2014 and I really liked doing it. I have, I've been in practice so long. I know all the top dogs in different fields and it was great to interview them, but as well, the format was to give a little bit of a lecture beforehand that related to their particular area of expertise and then have the guests come on and talk about it. And so it was the beginning of really being able to take specific topics, whether it was organic food or arthritis or anxiety and address them and then have something that I could say to my patients here, why don't you listen to this podcast? It'll help you. That's fantastic. Um, what was your, one of your most memorable episodes? I love the one, I think it was the last one we did was on astrology. I liked being able to explain astrology to people it's because sometimes people think that it's a silly subject. I happen to coincidentally or not have four friends who are astrologers and I will tell you they are among the smartest people I know. It's very complex science, it is a science. Uh, when you take it seriously and it's also a spiritual science and so the best astrologers uh, are ones that have a strong spiritual practice and so and those happen to be the ones I know and I learned a lot about them and I liked being able to share that with the public to really change people's perspe perspective of what they think astrology is and how one would use it. Mm, yeah. That's fantastic. That's great. Um, there was one episode you had where the title was Romantic Love as it Relates to Soul Purpose. Do you recall oh, that one? I do. That was another great one. That was probably my number. Yeah, that's probably equal. Amir Levine was my guest. He's, he was awesome. He wrote this book called Attached, and he talked all about how people attach in romantic relationships. Um, Suzanne, do we all have a soul purpose? Absolutely. Absolutely. What's What's the best way to figure out what that is? Well, I think there are three. I, I put them into general and local, sort of broad and specific. And for all of us, one of our sole purposes is to really learn how to increase our capacity to love 
on all levels. To love ourselves better, to love our partners better, to love our families better. And then our second major soul purpose is to learn how to receive love better. Because a lot of people sometimes don't feel so loved, but if they actually look, there's love there. And then the third is how to self-express our own specific frequency or vibration in a very particular way. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that and walking us through that. That was great. Um, you know, there are a handful of guided meditation courses out there that are online. I think what really makes yours different is the wisdom training that you offer. So I'd love for you to share, spend a few minutes sharing with us why that's meaningful to you. Sure. Um, in order to go deeper in your meditation, you really first have to understand what meditation is all about. And many people look at it scientifically. It will alter your brain waves and your heart rate will shift and your oxygen saturation will shift or, you know, whatever statistics that people like that will make them feel comfortable. And that's all true. But on a very different level, what you're doing is connecting to the light and the love within yourself, which is from my perspective, what divinity is. Everyone who's ever written about this subject will talk about God or the divine as being limitless energy that's going to create. And so when you want to go into a deeper state and align with that energy, your mind has to be willing to start to let go of limitations. We have to slowly start to release our judgments about things and bring our awareness to that which we're creating limitation around. Wisdom training and meditation go hand in hand. The, the biggest reason why I love to teach meditation is that people come to it because they're upset in some, about something. They have some frustration, some disappointment, some sadness, anger, some discomfort in some kind of way. Mm. And you, it's not a process of just blanking out your mind so you can forget about it. That's not it at all. It's about getting yourself into a state of energy where you accept everything that happens as just an experience that is in itself divine. And when you start experiencing life from that way and in meditation, you feel yourself reach the frequency where you go beyond just sitting in your body as, you know, Asim or Suzanne, when you come out of that experience, even though nothing in your life has changed material than, you know, materially from half an hour before you sat down or even 10 minutes before you sat down, your experience and relationship to all those things has shifted and become absolutely more harmonious and you are more accepting of those things. And so you don't need to take Prozac you don't necessarily need to quit your job. 
right? You start to shift who you are inside. And then you, that's when you really start to understand that age old expression, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> that was so exquisite. <laughs> I felt a physical change coming over my body as you were talking about that. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's such a tidy, pithy aphorism that wherever you go, there you are. And it, it's always felt like a joke. But now I actually understand the wisdom behind it, thanks to you. I hear you're a big sports fan. <laughs> yes, actually, I am. <laughs> What's your but favorite sport and who's your team? <laughs> I love baseball and I'm a Mets fan. Oh, okay. And you have to be in an absolutely clear state. And I'm so impressed with, with the players, the ones who are best, like the quality of their mind is exquisite. So that's why I'm a sports fan. <laughs> Very nice. So wonderful. Thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Asim. Thank you.